guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, it's Drea. This is Jackie. And we're back with another week of Killer Cocktails. Oh yeah. And this week... We're drinking milkshakes. Just kidding. <laughs> so you're way off. Uh, we are drinking the whiskey sour. Yeah. A drink I think I like and I've ordered at bars. Yeah. Once again, our bad bartending skills have struck. Which is crazy because it's three ingredients. There's nothing in this. There's whiskey, which I love. Yeah. There's lemon juice. Delicious. Yeah. And a little bit of sugar. I wonder if lemon was bad or the bourbon that we used you know what i'm gonna go with lemon because do you remember when we didn't like our margaritas yeah matt was like you had bad limes yeah i'm sure you had bad limes yeah i you know what that makes me feel better yeah because i think i like whiskey sours that's a good drink Mm -hmm. it's a i don't know it's a real basic drink anywho make sure you grew on me as we went (laughs) you kept insisting it was just because i had more alcohol in me yes that's why i started liking it (laughs) because i stopped caring as much um Overall, I would say whiskey sours are good. Good cocktail. But even though I didn't like ours, just I think it's, I still think it's a good cocktail. So bad, yeah. Um, yeah, so now we have beers. <laughs> <coughs> we haven't had a, a good cocktail in a while, and I'm starting to get real sad. Yeah. <laughs> so the history of this drink. Oh, yeah. There's not a ton. There's kind of a lot of like this bar this year and then everyone was like but everyone knows that's not the first whiskey sour like it kept getting a lot of ties to like the british royal navy Mm. um and how they would have like sours were a big thing with sailors because of scurvy and because they always had lemons and limes on board Mm -hmm. and it was like let's mix these lemons and limes with whatever booze we have yeah so the the true origins of the whiskey sour are probably just sailors on a boat mixing stuff Mm -hmm. and then there's like a few smatterings kind of throughout time um it shows up in a bunch of old cocktail books but again even in the oldest of cocktail books they're like this is an old cocktail yeah nice i like it yeah so not like a super exciting history to that one but still in theory a tasty drink (laughs) um wham bam thank you ma'am and why are we doing the whiskey sour i was like i don't know why it's whiskey (laughs) sour day uh-huh there's a national whiskey sour day august 25th yep mm-hmm so get yourself the correct well i think we had the just correct get recipe. yourself a good lemon i think we had a good recipe we yeah. got it out of that good recipe book mm-hmm. it called for so i there were a bunch of different you can use simple syrup you could use like regular granulated sugar this one called for powdered sugar mm-hmm. which i thought i was like oh this is gonna be really good uh-huh. i think we have bad lemons yeah I'm, I'm with you on that when life gives you bad lemons you make a bad whiskey sour. Don't make whiskey sours. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, that was a really quick cocktail hour. Um, but I think we're going to jump right into the murders. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to go first. And I am just going to jump right into my story. So, on Saturday, January 23rd of 1943. Oh, here we go. Train number 15 leaves Leaves Portland's Union Station after 1 a.m. heading to Los Angeles. I'm excited. Trains, Portland, mm-hmm. Millenite. This yes. is good. Okay. Get, get excited. <laughs> okay. So uh, on the train, there's a passenger named Harold Wilson, who's a Marine, and he had just been released from the brig the day that he got onto the train. Brig is uh, Army Jail. Yep. Yes, exactly. So he gets released from the brig because... Um, 
well, he he got put into the brig because there was like an alleged sexual assault charge against him. Mm. So they release him and he hops on this train and he's being sent to uh, a combat unit. So it's kind of like a like a punishment of mm-hmm. sorts. And so he, that's his backstory. Okay. There's another pa- passenger on the train and her name is Martha James and she's 21 years old and she's from Norfolk, Virginia. And she's on her way to meet up with her husband, Richard James. And he had left already on a, a train, like, earlier in the day. Okay. Um, so she's going to go meet up with him. And at approximately 4.30 a.m. near the town of Tangent, Oregon, passengers in one of the sleeping cars, like, awake to Martha screaming, Oh, my God, he's killing me. Jesus. hmm Imagine waking up on a train to that. Yes. I know you're stabbed. But, but where? where? Such a great story. <laughs> um, okay, so they hear the screaming. They all run out of their sleeping areas, and they find Martha on the floor in her sleeper cart, and her throat has been slashed. And Marine Private Harold Wilson is also there, and he's covered in blood, and he's standing beside Martha, and she's, like, laying there dying. What is your excuse, buddy? Yeah, so immediately you're like, it's this dude. So Harold explains to everyone in the car that he had heard Martha screaming. So he came to investigate and saw her and all of the blood, and he realized he couldn't help her. So he chased after this white male before anyone else had gotten out of their beds. So he's saying, like, he heard the scream, and he got ready and out the door and chased some dude I... and made it back before everyone else. <sighs> I can't imagine being in a position where you don't know who to believe. Mm-hmm. Where you don't want to, like, if this dude is hero status, mm-hmm. you don't want to be thinking ill of him. Yeah. But at the same time, you're also kind of like, looks bad, dude. Looks real bad, dude. You have blood all over you. Oh, mm. what? It's going to happen. Here we go. Okay. So, uh, they call the police and they allow the train to continue to Eugene. Hey. Oregon. Um, and Lane County Sheriff Roy S- uh, S- Sutherland and his men start searching the train. And back in Lynn County, Sheriff Herbert Shelton and his men launch a wide-scale manhunt in in and around uh, Tangent. Thinking maybe dude jumped off? Yes, exactly. Okay. So they take Harold in for questioning, and his description of the events and of the suspects start to change. Okay. Like, Originally, he said it was a white male, and then after a while, he's like, mm, I think it was a black man, actually. And so, like, that's so hard. Cause, <sighs> I want to know statistically, does your story change a little bit as you're, like, trying to pull more details and maybe your mind's making things up mm-hmm. or you're getting more, like, I think, like, general consensus is the more your story changes, you're a liar. Yeah. But is that, I guess I want to know if, is that if true, that's yeah. true. An eyewitness account is not credible. It's terrible. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> okay. So uh, other things are kind of off with his story. He first claims to have run to the end of the train in pursuit of the killer and had seen no one. Mm-hmm. Then when a train man replied that he had, he had to have seen at least like the cook and a waiter and a steward, um, Harold's story starts changing and it starts to include all those people. Okay. Um, he miscounted the number of cars he ran through and then said maybe he hadn't made it back to, uh, he, he didn't make it to the back of the train after all. Although one source says there was a blood trail found leading to the end of the train. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's my, okay. This is a very good story. Yeah. So <laughs> then I start to think, what if you have, as an exaggerator, mm-hmm. I'm an exaggerator mm-hmm. and I understand what my brethren are like. 
So let's say you're in a situation where you're telling a story and you're amped on it and you've in the moment you think it's true, mm-hmm. but you're you're exaggerating. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, this is a serious thing. Mm-hmm. I need to be as factual as possible. And you start walking back maybe some of your tall tales. Yeah. Do you think maybe? Maybe. Like, I can totally see miscounting the cars. Like, I don't There's know a the lot. difference you, between you, three and five. Because you're trying to, like, memorize that stuff as it's yeah. happening. That's the best as you can remember. But I feel like you would know if you made it to the back of the train. Cause maybe. Because I feel that that's a pivotal point and that's why you turned around. You know what I mean? Like, that would be something yeah. that's Memory is crazy. Yeah, that's true. I'm... I'm fascinated if he's lying that there's a blood trail that goes to the end of the train. Yeah. Yeah. This is... Where is this going? Okay. So, as a result of uh, the questioning, investigators turn their attention to Robert E. Lee Folks, who um, is a cook on the train. Okay. He's kind of fitting his new description of a black male. Uh, Uh, So, Robert is born on... um, So, now I'm going to tell you about Robert. So, Robert is born on June 20th of 1922 in Arkansas Delta, By the age of 12, he is working regular jobs in South Los Angeles, and he attends Jefferson High in 1936 and 1937, and he continues to have this, like, passion for learning, and he's, like, self-taught, and he actually becomes very well-educated, and in the early 1940s, he becomes a railroad cook, and he works the round-trip route between Los Angeles and Portland, so he's doing this trip all the time. Okay. And he also has a... Do we know if he lives in L.A. or if he lives in Portland? L.A. He lives in L.A. Okay. Uh, And he has a common law wife named Jesse Wilson. I lied. I think he lives in Portland because I'm going to tell you this next fact. (laughs) Jesse lives in Portland. (laughs) Uh, So a little bit of this time. So Portland had an influx of black workers and families for the World War II industrial effort. And this really caused um, a a very like high racial tensions oregon's real white yeah. and there's a lot of real discriminatory laws on the books that didn't change until way too recently mm-hmm. yeah so you're kind of like already in this racial yeah. racially charged like time um so when the train arrives in los angeles on january 24th of 1943 robert is taken into custody custody and eventually confesses to the murder after several days in custody oh uh, that like doesn't that kind of paint it a little bit too? Mm-hmm. Several days in custody, mm-hmm. and then I think it's crazy that you can admit to a crime that you didn't do. But I feel like even you and I are capable of doing that. Yeah, I mean, you don't know. Like, imagine being cut off from everybody, no like food or water. Or, yeah, it's torture. It's, it's a little bit like it's yeah. mental torture. Exactly. Yeah, and then they start feeding you lines, and you're like, well, maybe I did, and I you don't just remember. Want it to end. You want to get out of that mm-hmm. goddamn room, and you're like, I'll fix it later. I'll just confess, and I'll get out of it. Or, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So. Uh, however, when Robert's mom and wife come to see Robert and like t- to see how he's doing and to see what's going on, Robert's face is super swollen. Oh, they've beaten him. Mm-hmm. And they can see that he is drunk. And he tells them how the police have been beating him for the last couple of days and they've been forcing him to drink whiskey during his confession. Oh, good tie. Whiskey is my tie to our whiskey sour cocktail. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. So, now we go to the trial. So, Robert's trial takes place in April of 1943, and and it becomes nationwide news. And throughout the trial, the prosecution takes a very racist stance and said that Robert killed Martha because of all, quote-unquote, black men possess a violent sexual attraction to white women. So crazy. Uh, The trial lasted 15 days, and despite several witnesses saying they saw Robert in the kitchen at the time of the murder, the all-white jury found Robert guilty. Jeez. 
Judge L. Guy Lewingling uh, sentenced him to death, and after several unsuccessful appeals, Robert is executed in the gas chamber on January 5th of 1945 at the Oregon State Penitentiary. Oh, he dies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, now a lot of historians think that he was set up, and that Robert... The way the way you've panned the story, that yeah. is very possible. Yeah. Um, so there's this guy, Max G. Geiger. He's a chairman of the history department at Western Oregon University. And he writes a book called The Color of Night, Race, Railroad, Railroaders. I can't say that. Railroaders? That's, yeah. And Murder in the Wartime West. And it's about this case in particular. Yeah. And um, he says that the timeline police and prosecutors constructed conflicted with firsthand accounts and that their star witness, Harold, who they portrayed as the this like white hero Mm -hmm. was actually the murderer i mean possible and during the trial witness statements start disappearing and investigators pretended like they didn't exist one detective mailed testimony to himself in los angeles so he could truthfully say on the stand that he did not possess the documents whoa yeah uh, Lynn County District Attorney uh, Harlow L. Winrick failed to provide the defense with copies of the confessions Robert supposedly stated, and Dr. Joseph Beeman, uh, head of the uh, state police crime lab, refused to give the defense attorney copies of the autopsy. So that's a huge... I can't remember what that's called, but that like that came up in the Curtis Flowers case, mm-hmm. where like if you're the prosecutor, you have to give all exculpatory evidence to the defense. Yeah. And... I don't know when those laws passed and if that predates this or if it's just so long ago. It was like, that's a big deal. Yeah. And that's how things get overturned and appeals and all that stuff is that exact stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, okay, so they weren't allowed to see the autopsy report. And this would have been crucial to the defense since it contained the results of the fingernail scrapings from witness uh, material witnesses such as Robert. The fingernail scrapings of Robert contained only starch, sugar, soda, and grease, but no blood. Additionally, the defense was denied access to the crime scene. Wait, why did she have that shit on her fingernails? No, no, that was Robert. Oh. So Robert only had starch, sugar, soda, and grease. There was no blood Got on, it. on him. I flipped that in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Robert's defense attorney also wasn't able to interview any passengers on the train and the railroad stonewalled the defense to keep them from talking to employees. What are they saying the motive was that he's just some crazed black man after a white lady? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeez. And the prosecution even constructed, uh, in an Albany railroad yard, a life-size, uh, diorama of the train except it had been modified so that the cook's car in which Robert was working was one car away from the murder car. So it's not accurate. Instead of five or six. Mm -hmm. So several of these issues were raised at trial, but the judge dismissed them offhand or even aggressively. And he's like, I won't hear it. I get so bad out of shape. Like, you feel like it's common because you get into true, like you only hear the cases where there's, you know, conflicting stuff. Yeah. But I... It's definitely, I feel like, a mentality of, I feel so strongly that this person is guilty, mm-hmm. and I'm going to frame everything around it mm-hmm. to ensure that the guilty person is found guilty. And it's, like, the most ass-backwards way of going about science. Because it should be proven, in, or innocent until proven guilty. So. And, like, let's grab everything. Yeah. And where does everything take us? Does everything point us towards this mm-hmm. avenue? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's bad policing. Yeah. 
Um, so the author of the book, Max, explains that Martha's father was a big shot businessman who lived next to the governor of Virginia. So somebody had to be arrested for the crime. Got it. Robert may have simply been a convenient fall guy, but Max thinks that the frame job was also part of a more sophisticated anti-labor stance by the Southern Pacific Railroad. Oh. So Robert's union was one of the most radical the railroad dealt with during the World War II, and its leader was a family friend of Robert's. Max has stated, I think it was a campaign of uh, intimidation against the union. Here's what happens to uppity union members. So, not that the whole thing is a frame job about Mm -hmm. that, but they're taking advantage of a situation and spinning it. Exactly. Yeah. And so that is the case. You're not going to tell me more about this? Of Robert E. Lee Folks. I thought I was going to get more about the military guy. Mm -mm. No, he was just let off scot-free. He was painted as the hero. Yeah, but then where did he go to live and are there bodies popping up? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. he randomly attacked some lady on a train? Mm -hmm. Apparently, he had been, like, hitting up other ladies on the train throughout the... Like, there's witnesses who were saying, oh, no, like, Harold was... Yeah, I'm going to guess no means no and it didn't go well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ugh, Drea, as always, I'm annoyed. (laughs) It's just so sad because, like, oh, that time there's just that racial tension. And it was, like, throughout the media they were, like, talking about it. And, like, a lot of the papers, white, prominent papers were just saying how it was so sad that this white woman died. And just, like, no, like, this man was framed for this murder. Yeah. There's two victims there. Yeah. Like, if if it's how we think it's going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, it was just, like, a, a central organ, like crime so i like it i like the little hometown tie there um i don't need a break do you need a break Mm -mm. i don't think we have a break message you guys oh it's the end of august yeah you have days days left to appropriately and correctly apply to get a free shirt Mm -hmm. you gotta take your sticker Mm -hmm. take a photo Mm -hmm. pretty simple a photo with a sticker in it yeah here's the catch you gotta post it like a normal photo and hashtag Killer Cocktails Podcast, mm-hmm. and that's how you enter. And right now, we only have one entry. So and that's a freebie win. And it's a really cute baby with a sticker. Let's get some competition going. Because <laughs> I think the shirt's a little too big for this baby. Probably. <laughs> but I think the Maybe baby... Maybe we order a onesie. <gasps> <gasps> Nobody else applies. <laughs> <laughs> this baby needs to win. <laughs> but yeah, when you guys like post all the pictures, we'll throw it up to you guys to vote who the yeah. winner is. So it's maybe not... the baby still wins. Yeah. That'll be funny. Do it to it. All right. Let's get back to murder. Okay. So uh, my story, I got a ton. I found this article on thoughtco.com. Excuse me. By this guy, Charles Montaldo. Super detailed. Everything else is like kind of snippety. And he had like really great info. So if you're curious about this at all, definitely check that out. Um, Okay. So I'm going to tell you about Derek Todd Lee. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was born November 5th, 1968. Okay. So we're right before the time of the prime. Um, he's born in Louisiana. Louisiana. St. Francisville, Louisiana. His father's not really around. Um, his dad was mentally ill and was institutionalized after attacking his ex-wife. Okay. And what I'm unclear of is if attacking his ex-wife is Derek's mom or a different wife but so Derek's a kid and his dad's not around because his dad kind of went nuts and went after some ex-wife of his um his mother remarries 
And he kind of has a typical childhood of the area and the time. Um, he's raised, it's a pretty religious household. So the new dad is, uh, religious, like Bible readings and, and all of that. But for all, you know, for all accounts and purposes, he's, it's, it's a normal childhood. Um, by, he has a younger sister who, when they get to a certain age, it kind of becomes apparent that his learning is also stunted, kind mm-hmm. of similar to his father's because his sister kind of eclipses him and mm-hmm. is a much better student. Um, they do like, he doesn't enjoy any of his classes in school except for band and they do a couple different IQ tests and he never scores more than 75. Okay. Um, so on the, on the lower scale, um, by 11 years old, he's caught peeping in windows. Oh no. And that's young. Like 11 is, so he's, uh, peeping in windows and he's torturing neighborhood animals. No. Which are both very clear, big giant. Red flags. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's arrested for simple burglary when he's 13. Simple. Simple burglary. (laughs) You know, maybe a pack of gum. Yeah. Um, But so he's already having trouble with the law, and he's uh, getting a reputation among officers for this peeping Tom business. Oh. So nothing's been, like, officially on the books, but they're like, oh, this kid's a bit of a creep. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Ridiculous. Um. So when he's 17, he's finally arrested and charged with being a peeping Tom. Yeah, you're growing out of it. It's not yeah. cute anymore. Uh, oh, but before that. So when he's 16, he pulls a knife on a kid during a fight. Whoa. Um, he's charged with attempted second degree murder. Yeah. Uh, then, But like he, like his story, in and out, he does not ever really get a ton of jail time. Hmm. He'll go away, but not for very long. Yeah. So 16, he pulls the knife. 17, uh, he's finally charged with being a peeping Tom. Um, and even though there's multiple complaints about him, and he's got all these previous arrests, he does not go to jail for the peeping. Hmm. I mean, what what year is it? I feel like that wasn't such a big deal. Like stalking so wasn't really a big deal. He was born in the late sixties. Now he's seventeen, so yeah. we're you know. Math. I feel like it just wasn't like stalking wasn't a very big deal. No. Yeah. Okay, so now he's twenty. Okay. And he marries a girl named Jacqueline Denise Sims. Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Um, and they have two kids. He's not a very good husband. Weird. Um, he. Keeps a steady job. He works in construction and he like takes his family out on the weekends. Um, but he's stepping out. Mm. Uh, he likes getting all gussied up and going out and like doesn't go out with his wife, but like he goes out on the town. Oh, um, he's got a bunch of different affairs. He goes out to the bars. Um, and it kind of becomes a normal thing that he just gets arrested and goes to jail all the time. And that's just like his wife's like, yeah, that's that's being married to Derek. Ugh, that's a that's so hard. Um, okay, so in 1996, so now we've moved on quite a bit, his wife comes into all this money because her dad dies in a factory explosion. Jesus. So she gets like $250,000. Nice. And Derek just starts blowing all of it. No. He's blowing it on other women. He's mm. going out. He's buying expensive cars. Um, he gets this like side chick and she gets pregnant and he's given her money oh no and by 1999 so they got the money in 96 by 99 it's all gone <gasps> oh and there's like no way for her to like hey this is gonna be in my account no oh so june of 99 um 
he pushes his way into an apartment of a woman named Colette Walker. Random. He's not seeing her. Not seeing her. They're not dating. He like jams in um, in an attempt to get her to date him. So he's saying like, I don't know how he came across her, but he's pushing into her apartment being like, we got to get together. (laughs) That's Um, not going to (laughs) work. She doesn't know him. So she gets him out of her apartment, gives him, uh, he gives her his number and he's like, call me sometime. I'm going to call the police and give them your phone number. Yeah. So like he doesn't get boundaries at all. Yeah. So uh, Colette has this gal pal who lives kind of close by and she's talking to Colette. She's like, what's the deal with this dude I see creeping around your place? Also, Colette catches him peeping in one of her windows. So she calls the police. And I don't know if they catch him there or they, like, go get him. Um, but they catch him. And despite all of his peeping time history, his long rap sheet, all of that, um, he does not get locked up for very long. And despite being told by the courts, you stay the fuck away from her, he immediately goes looking for her back no. at her house. But she's moved. Okay. I was like, would you move? I would move. Okay, so as I'm, like, getting all this information, I would be livid <laughs> if I had to move because of some creep. Yeah. I love where I live. Uh-huh. And if I had to move, I'd be mad about it. Yeah. I Sca- think- like, there's the normal I'm scared and all of that. Yeah. And I'm not even, like, discussing that. I'm talking about how, like, annoying it would be to move because of some asshole. I bet you she's annoyed, too. Yes. I'd be annoyed. Yeah. You are disrupting my life because you're a pervert. Stop yes. it. Yes. Oh, and you know where I live. Okay. So she moves. He's being a creep. He doesn't get it. Um, February of 2000. Um, he gets in a fight with his baby mama and she gets a restraining order against him. Okay. He breaks it three days later, assaults her in a parking lot <gasps> very violently. And she already has a baby. Yeah. Like she's not pregnant. No. Okay. She presses charges. And since he's on parole, he goes back to prison for a year. Okay. When he gets out, he's on house arrest and he has to wear a, like a monitoring device. Yeah. Um, it's discovered that he has removed this monitoring device. And instead of that being a, like breaking his parole and he has to go back to prison, he's just scolded. And he remains out on parole. And gets another bracelet, or that's unclear. Okay. I don't know. But essentially, they're like, they're you like, can't, Derek, you can't do that, Derek, you old so and so. Um. So in '93, he attacks two teens. This is horrific. He attacks two teens who are making out in a car, and it is described that he used a six foot harvesting tool, <gasps> and then he's oh. just like. Oh, slashing at them. like I'm, I'm imagine the like grim reaper, reaper. Yeah. yeah that's what i imagine too through the car i don't know if he opened it oh. and like i don't know it ah. sounds off they died so the way this author describes it um he's just like hacking away at them until another car comes no they both live oh and ultimately many 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 years later the girl is able to pick Derek out of a lineup oh, oh my god crazy Wait, where did that... How did that escalate? Why did that... I don't know. Like, this is just one that they've tied to him yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the timing of it Ugh. is that, like, that's the timeline. There's a lot of, like, lover lane. Yeah. Don't go don't there. Don't be necking with boys in a car. Don't go necking. 
Don't go oh. necking boys <laughs> at your local kissing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like people go cruising looking for people out in known makeout spots. Isn't that what kind of inspired the like Freddy Krueger movies? Well, and Zodiac yeah, did that, yeah, yeah. and like that other dude I was telling a story about several weeks ago. Yeah. Wait, is that it? You put your mm-hmm. pad down. Oh, okay. I was like, you you best that's, keep talking. That's not the end of it. <laughs> I wish that was the end of it. That's so sad. Do um, they lose limbs? I feel like you lose a limb. You're maimed. Ugh. Yeah, they didn't talk about like how. Oh, that's so I sad. I don't know. Then there's just this like rattled off list of multiple people that have now been like tied to him as victims. Yeah. So the way that this Montaldo guy, so this is the guy who wrote the article, he's saying that during the 10 years that everyone later learns that Derek was committing all these like rapes and murders... Um, he's moving jobs a ton. He's moving to different cities throughout mm-hmm. Louisiana. Um, he's going in and out of prison. So it wasn't until he focused in one area, kind of just outside LSU, um, that the heat kind of caught on to him. So there are two bodies of victims that he left at a boat launch at Whiskey Bay. Hey, that's a good tie. That's my tie. Um, and that was when investigators started going, I think, I think there's a serial killer. Yeah. So because he was bebopping yeah. between all these That's different parishes did. and all yeah. these different areas, the communication wasn't great. Mm-hmm. And then once he like kind of settled down in one area and there were multiple victims, that was what kind of raised um, suspicion. So there are ultimately, and these aren't all tied to him, but there are 53 unsolved Whoa. murders of women in Baton Rouge between 1991 and 2000. So that's a good chunk of time. It's about 20 years. Yeah. But 53 unsolved murders about, like, with women. So in August 2002, Baton Rouge Area Multi-Agency Task Force, that's the name of it, um, they create this task force. And essentially they're like, hey, we need to have better communication between all these parishes. I think there's a bunch of stuff going on. Let's zoom out and look for patterns. Mm-hmm. Um. Around this time, murders increase. So now they have this task force, and now there's a shit ton more murders. 18 women are murdered in the next two years. And police will potentially think that they're, like, now with more time, they think that there are three serial killers (gasps) operating in that area at that time. What? So it's, like, whose victims are whose. Oh, my God. And now you've got conflicting, like, you're getting descriptions of this person, but is it that one serial killer or this other serial killer? Yeah. That's so crazy. Like, it'd be an interesting movie to kind of, yes. like, start follow them off the three, as babies. and then the like three how time, they, timelines. Yeah. That would be. Oh. I want to see that. Okay, so part of what throws police off of Derek is that he doesn't conform to stereotypes of the time of serial killers. Because serial killers are thought to be white, and he's black. Okay. Generally, it's thought that serial killers pick victims of their own race, but Derek killed both white women and black women. And he would change up his killing methods. So he didn't have wow. like a signature move. Yeah. The only thing he really had, this is what the guy said in the article, the only thing he really had in common with them was he would keep trinkets, mm-hmm. which is like a serial killer thing. But otherwise, like... But it was different trinkets? Like it wasn't always an earring? Well, or... I couldn't get what the trinkets were. In one article I read, they said um, that he would take their cell phones. Oh. But that didn't... I don't yeah. really think of that as a trinket. I think that's more like Just... it's worth something or yeah. um, it's got information on it. So in 2002, this kind of bogus sketch goes out that illustrates him as a white dude with long hair and long features. And, and this s- is from someone he attacked? Yeah. Okay. So, or, or a witness. So 
they start looking in the wrong direction. They're looking for like a white dude in a white truck with long hair. Yeah. Like they're way off. Which then like as I'm reading later, I'm like, well, is that just a different serial killer? Yeah. <gasps> so this creates all sorts of leads in the wrong direction to find Derek. And there's an inaccurate FBI offender profile so they're building this profile and they're like he's a white man and his whatever mm-hmm. and that's what the no- local like news stations are telling everybody. yeah so also like if you're trying to protect yourself you're also not guarding yourself against the right description of someone um so police started administering thousands of dna tests to white guys in the area mm. and because they're not having any luck, find, like they're not getting any hits, they reach out to this company, like now they don't exist anymore, DNA Print Genomics, mm-hmm. to just run DNA that's left at the crime scene. They're like, well, we don't have anything to match this to, but run it and tell us essentially like the ancestry of the DNA you find. Oh. So they come up with a profile that indicates that the suspect is 85% African. And they're like, oh, fuck, we're way off. This is like a genial thing, kind of mm-hmm. like a 23. What year is this? Uh, 90. Oh, uh, no. Early 2000. 2000. Oh, okay. 2000s. Wow. So now they're like, okay, shoot, we're way off. All right. We're looking for a black guy, not a white guy. And then they start to get more discreet. Like, then witnesses start coming up where it's like, oh, no, it's a black. And then, then everything's kind of starting to match up a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So in 2003, um, reports start to surface that there's attacks on ladies. Um, and now they're pairing. So now they've got, they're like, okay, I think... There are people who are saying they're being attacked by a black man. Because I don't think he's killing everybody. Uh-huh. Um, then he is living in a parish. I love that about like Louisiana and the South. They always refer to parishes and I don't really know what that means. Because um, it's not what it's, it's like a county. I don't know. Um, so police come across him. And they want his DNA. And I and what I don't know, it doesn't say in anything I read, but I imagine because he's on parole, he has to give them his DNA. They don't, like, he can't be like, oh, no, I don't want to be a yeah. player. Um, Is it, yeah. do they not collect DNA from all prisoners? Like, they probably do now. Okay. I don't know. There's a lot of civil liberties involved in that. Because that's how you get like, fingerprints and that. I would feel like if you go into the system, we have to get your DNA. There's a lot of uh, contention around, maybe we talk about this at the end, when you go in... They're grabbing people's DNA who are victims of crimes just because they're trying to build a database. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, quit it. Yeah. Hmm. I'm, I'm in a weird, I'm on a weird spot where it's like, I want them to have all the information to solve all the crimes. Yeah. But I also know how wrong things can go and I don't want them to just have everyone's, have everyone's stuff. Minority report. Yeah. Ugh. You're going to create a crime. Okay. So they get him and they're like, ooh. This guy has a rap sheet. They're like, we th- we think this is going to be it. Oh, imagine working that case and you're getting closer and closer. The moment he gives his swab, <gasps> he moves his family to Atlanta. Because he knows. No. Isn't he, he on probation? He can't mm-hmm. leave. But he did. Ugh. August of 2004. Uh, excuse me. So DNA matches. And they're like, get him. They find him in Atlanta. They get him in Georgia. So that's not a huge. But like, you could tell he was like, oh, shoot. This is going to come back to me. And he <laughs> yeah. Left. So in August of 2004, he's found guilty of the murder um, in the second degree. And I think part of that was like there was a whole thing about there wasn't a sexual element to one of them. And they knew that they could get him on second degree murder and that first degree murder needed a sexual element or it was like a little bit more of it's weird when they describe like how how they decide what degree Mm -hmm. and like 
where they'll have a pretty sure idea of what they think happened, but then trying to be like, well, we want to make sure we get a conviction. So do we go after this? Mm-hmm. Do we go after that? Like, there's a whole politics to it, or too. Or if you, like, start up here, you know it's going to be pled down. So, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, what was it? Serial, third season? They were mm-hmm. talking about how they always start you at, like, this higher one because they know they're going to plead down. Because they don't want you to go to court. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want you to be scared of that crime mm-hmm. and then be like, all right, cool, I'll accept this. Yeah. So... Uh, in October of 2004, he's found guilty of the murder of Charlotte Marie Pierce, or excuse me, Pace, um, and he's sentenced to death by lethal injection. So now he's got two that, that have like, he's been found guilty of, um, in 2008, the Louisiana Supreme Court upheld his conviction. Um, so he was awaiting execution on death row and then he got sick and he was transferred to a hospital um, he died January 21st, 2016 of, I think, heart-related stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this, like, crazy secondary part of the story that I, I wanted to talk about. So he enters the home of this woman, Diane Alexander. This is back in 2002. Um, he beats her and he attempts to rape her. She's the only known survivor of an attack that they know that he was a part of. Yeah. He's the only, she's the only known survivor. She, and the only reason she survived is like while he's attacking her, her son came home, <gasps> scared him and like chased him out the back of the house. Whoa. So then there's this whole thing where Louisiana Crime Stoppers is some group and they have a reward out for the arrest or like for information that leads to the arrest of the serial killer because like he's got different nicknames and stuff in the area um her like she gives eyewitness testimony she has a sketch made she's got all like she definitely was a part of convicting him in these things she was attacked by him she was i I, what i don't know is like how successful that that's a terrible term that rape was she was attacked Mm -hmm. and she then goes to louisiana crime stoppers and she's like i want that reward i like he attacked me and i Gave all the information to the police. And Louisiana Crime Stoppers was like, no, um, you needed to have called us by this one date. Oh. And you didn't call us by that date. You shitting And me? you never called us. You just like reported it to the police. And that's not the same as telling us that information. So you don't get the reward. Are you shitting me? I got so mad reading that. That's like the... The statute of limitations on, like, being able to report a rape. Well, the other thing is, like, what the fuck do you exist for? What? Who are you, Louisiana Crime Stoppers? Yeah. And if your true intent is to put a criminal behind bars mm-hmm. and you're putting this money out as an incentive for people to help you in that cause. Yeah. Would you... Why are you all up in arms about a victim of the crime who definitely aided in catching him? Yeah. Why are you red taping? That's insane. I'm so irritated by it. Ugh. She took him to court. Okay, that was going to be my um, next question. Yeah, let me see. Because how much was the money? Or how much was the reward? I, sh- I should have that. $100,000. Ugh. Um, yeah, so February 22nd of 2006, she hires an attorney to pursue the case. And she's like, um, they claim that the reward expired on two, uh, August 1st, 2003, and that because she went to the police, that whole thing. Um, they claimed that she did not use the tipster hotline, that she had to have called them specifically about it. Um, thereby, she did not comply with the form 
terms or conditions required by Lafayette Crime Stoppers Inc. So wait, who are they? Are they just like some detectives that have banded together outside of the I don't know. police department? The case was decided in Lafayette. Uh, they, when it went to court, they found it in favor of Crime Stoppers. She was not given the money. Jesus. So then I start thinking about that and I go, okay, I, I get if you're wanting to follow the letter of the law and you want like creating precedents and there are terms and conditions. I just, even though you're legally right. Uh-huh. So like, let's, let's say you like win in court and you're like, cool, these are what the rules are. You still, at the end of the day, cut a check to her and you go, thank you. Yeah. And so sorry for everything that you've been through. Yeah. I'm mad. I, you know, uh, if someone knows more about that or I'm way off base and I'm wrong, yeah. I want to know about it. Because um, on its surface, that is so irritating. Yeah. That's crazy. Huh. And that's my story. That's crazy. That poor woman. Glad I could leave you upset. <laughs> Sure. What are you what are you watching reading? I was gonna do a whiskey joke. Oh. Oh, well, okay. Go ahead, ask me now. What are you watching, reading, listening? What's oh, your Oh, okay, cool. Um we okay, so this is the whole thing. We are a Google family and we have Chromecast and we have Pixels, like Oh, see I'm an Apple family. Yeah, yeah. So. We're two different people, as you like to say to me constantly. You get so irritated I just when I say be that. Your friend. You are my friend. We can be different people and be friends. Okay. That's what's so magical about the world. <laughs> Differences. Yay. Okay, so we're a Google household. We use Chromecast. It's a magical tool that I know and love. And we also are Prime members, mm-hmm. and I can't watch any of the Prime shows. Well, I could on my laptop, but who's doing that? I want to be able to cast Prime shows oh. to my TV. And you've got Google in a fight with Amazon, mm-hmm. not wanting to play ball. Yes, but they finally played ball. And now I can Chromecast Amazon shows. So we just started watching The Boys. Ah. And it is so good. It's like a superhero like show, but it's not like everybody's in love with them it's like people are starting to see that they're assholes and like this company kind of owns like the quote-unquote top like superheroes Mm -hmm. and they have like this league that they're they're, like the seven or whatever and they go fight crime but it's like crime that they've like documented they're like okay these are the people you're gonna go fight crime today with and like it's all very scripted and they do press conferences and stuff and like something happens and um this guy's like no fuck them fuck they are assholes and he like meets like-minded people and they start going after the seven so it's like these just vigilante superheroes Mm -hmm. against like corporate superheroes Mm -hmm. but no they're not super they're just regular joes so it's regular joes going after uh soups it's super good it's really well made interesting episodes are so long they're like an hour and a half so you're like this is like a mini Movie. movie yeah all right super good yeah amazon prime okay what about you um, I am getting re-irritated by Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> You're watching it again? There's oh, the new, new season. Episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like an episode behind, I think. Last I knew, I'm starting to feel empowered and that like, we're making some headway. So I just know that Handmaid's Tale is going to knock me down a peg and I'm going to get really upset in the next <laughs> episode or two. Yeah. Um, oh, that show is so good and so aggravating. So good. I forgot that. I think I started watching this newest season and then I stopped. I think I, finals happened. And the then... author of the book has a quote that keeps floating around now that I, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't know it uh, specifically. But essentially she's saying um, men are afraid that women will laugh at them and women are afraid that men will kill them. Mm-hmm. 
Is that not yeah. appropriate? Yes. In like many I mean, of the instances that we come across. Yeah. Men are afraid they're going to get ridiculed. And women are like, I'm afraid you're going to fucking kill me. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. That's crazy. Eh. Yeah. Oh, and I'm reading Under the Banner of Heaven. What's that? Uh, it's a John Krakauer book uh-huh. about uh, funda- fundamentalist Mormons and a murder that happened back in the 80s. That I feel like something new happened recently about that case. I was reading the other day. Anyway, it's a very fascinating book. I'm Ooh. very early into it. Um, I want to borrow it. Yeah. Sounds good. You got a whiskey joke? I'm trying. Well, how about a quote? Mm-hmm. All right. Too much of anything is bad, but too much of good whiskey is barely enough. Mark Twain. Mark Twain. <laughs> good old Samuel Clemens. Um, yeah, all these other ones were like, this is how you make a great martini, blah, 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 drink whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Get oh out God. of here. Do you know, uh, there's a quote that often gets put to Mark Twain that he never said. That was like, he never spent a colder winter than in San Francisco. Uh-huh. People like to talk about how cold San Francisco is. And he never said that. It's not that cold in San Francisco. Calm down. Yeah. Uh, to be fair. To be fair. Because it's got that coastal fog, uh-huh. it can feel to, to the babies of the bay, which I am one of them. <laughs> so I'm not making fun of you people. Uh, it can get real cold. What is this crazy wet stuff coming from the sky? It's yeah, rain. Like, like Chicago has its own bone chilling cold that is like a cold that no one else knows. Yeah. Uh, but San Francisco can feel real cold. Okay. <laughs> you can. It gets cold here. I mean, colder here. It snows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have to wear a light jacket today. Oh, cute. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, guys, we're going to wrap this up. We enjoyed your company. Hopefully you enjoyed ours. You guys are such good listeners. <laughs> You're so good at listening. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> <laughs>